Hi, and welcome to the first official episode of Mind to Make. For those who don't know, my name is Jeremy Glenn. And first off, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Uh, this is the first of many episodes, uh, and I hope to make many, many more, inspire more people to use art and creativity as a way to express their views and, and themselves, and um, really start more conversations around the world. Uh, I really do feel that art and artists have the ability to inspire and motivate people to start conversation. And I feel like conversation is really the best way, uh, maybe the only way for us to achieve uh, change, social change, environmental change, and any kind of change in the world um, without that ability to communicate and for the, the channels of communication to be open. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to um, start to make those changes happen. So it, it is my sincere hope that in some small way, this podcast will help to make some strides in that direction. Before I get into the interview with uh, my first guest, Robert Bolton, I just want to say thank you so much to Oliver Hussein. Um, Oliver is a Toronto-based artist uh, who works in design, film, uh, visual art, and he designed the Mind to Make logo. Um, it is crazy and beautiful and wonderful, and I want to say thanks so much to Oliver. I'm going to have him on a future episode of Mind to Make, uh, so please uh, look out for that so you can find out why, what, and how he does what he does. Um, secondly, I just want to let everybody know where you can access information about the podcast. I'm not sure how you arrived here, but um, www.mindtomake.com is the official website, and we have all the relevant social links there. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you like. Um, we'll have some some representation of uh, of the show on there. We'll also have a blog on that website uh, where you can find uh, new content. And if you like, you can subscribe to the mailing list as well. So without further ado, I would like to introduce the first guest for the Mind to Make podcast, Mr. Robert Bolton. Robert Bolton is a Canadian artist and strategist. As head of Foresight Studio at Idea Couture, Robert led interdisciplinary teams using design thinking and foresight methods to solve complex problems and generate brand revenue and profit growth for Fortune 500 clients. In collaboration with Policy Horizons Canada, an innovation lab within the Government of Canada, Robert led the design of the board game Impact, which is used to teach federal public servants the discipline of strategic foresight and encourages deliberate thinking about long-term future developments and uncertainties. Um, more specific to this podcast, as a songwriter, Robert's work has been featured in Warner Brothers, MTV, CBS, A&E, CBC, uh, EA Sports Productions. Um, his work with Tanika Charles on her album Soul Run earned a Juno nomination for Soul and R&B Recording of the Year in 2017. And Robert's graphic narrative poem Orpheus was mounted at TEDx Toronto in the Vancouver Art Gallery exhibition Crazy, spelled with a K, the delirious world of anime plus comics plus video games plus art. His latest work of song, Lonely Arcade, combines his passions for music and futures thinking. Robert co-authored a perspective on policy, Biohackers, the Science, Politics, and Economics of Synthetic Biology, published in Innovations Journal, uh, which is uh, published by MIT Press in 2014, and he was a National Science Foundation AOSL Innovation Fellow, and he holds a Master's of Arts in the Humanities from the University of Chicago. In this episode, we get into discussions about uh, rap music and the role that lyrics play in that music, as well as any music, and how that helped to shape Rob's love of words. Uh, we also talk about his love of internet memes, um, some of the work that he's done at Idea Couture, and how that helped to shape his latest project from later, as well as a host of other topics. For anybody that's going to be in Europe during the month of April, you can catch Rob performing as Arobi with Fidra uh, in a number of different cities, uh, which I will post on the podcasts page on the Mind to Make website. So let's get into it. Here is my interview with Robert Bolton on Mind to Make. I'm here with my good friend Rob. Do you want, to, you want me to full full names? Sure. Arobi, Arobi, Arobi. <laughs> Robert Bolton, writer, uh, rapper. Artist, yeah, creative, yeah, idea man, yeah. So, um, if you want to give some context or some background about who you are, where you've come from, mm -hmm. how you got involved in the arts and writing, um, 
I've always been involved in um, the arts and, and writing, I guess, when I say always. I uh, started writing raps when I was like uh, between five and eight years old, I guess, probably. Oh, wow. Uh, and and uh, yeah, like I had like written albums worth of raps by the time I was like 13 and then started kind of recording and meeting other people. Who and what, like what time that. frame are we talking about here just for? Uh, yeah, it's like the 90s then. I was... I was 13 in 1999. So who are you listening to at that point? Um, I'm listening to, at that point, things like Coolio, um, Dre and Snoop and stuff like that, the Space Jam soundtrack, uh, Jay-Z. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, although I wasn't the biggest Jay Z fan at that time, I, I actually grew to appreciate Jay Z a lot more. You were like the first guy that I remember when talking to you and you were discussing influences because I grew up on the East Coast, you grew up in Vancouver, yeah. So you were very West, like I found in yeah, general, yeah. I and mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, yeah. but you seem very West Coast sure. oriented in yeah. terms of your influences, definitely. definitely. Like you were the first dude to be like, no, yo, E40 is like. Yeah. He's got a thing, and well, I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I would still say E40 is is in my top five for sure. One of my favorite rappers. Um, I could, I mean, I could get into that uh, a lot more. Uh, sort of why and and what his weaknesses are and his strengths, <laughs> weaknesses, all of that. But overall, also, I think um, as far as longevity and everything, there's like very strong argument for him to be considered one of the best ever. Uh, just for the fact that he's probably gone gold and platinum in more different sort of eras than uh, a lot of people. He came out in like the late 80s, uh, did his thing with like E-40 and the Click, did his thing uh, with Cash Money, did his thing with Lil Jon, did his thing, um, you know, more recently with Big Sean. Mm. Um, I'm probably missing some of the like phases that he can't, you know, it was big when that's pretty good. Hit was fabulous in the midst of it, and like, yeah. yeah. So, as far as being um, part of the like kind of commercial conversation, it's like I don't know if many other people have been able to, to stay with it so long and mm. still be relevant right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, maybe we can talk more about E40 in another. Yeah, another conversation. This isn't the E40. This isn't the podcast. E40 conf. No, no, anyway, no. But I okay. So we'll take this back to the conversation. Though something interesting about him would would be like just the the use of language and like um, the sort of like color, the freedom, the inventiveness of how he's working with his voice, how he's working with you know. I, I'm just talking about E40 again. But these are the things that kind of like inspired me hmm. about hip hop, and there was always a kind of a tie to literature um that i found hip-hop like made me want to be smart uh hmm. i sort of like listened to this stuff and i was like well these guys are clearly sort of mastering the the english language they're, they're using the same techniques that i'm learning about like in school early in when in, in in like a literature class or english class that kind of thing um and so i was like if i want to be to do this like i have to be intelligent like these guys are so it, it actually kind of made me want to um, dig deeper and just try to understand the world in different ways, read more. And I would want to have a conversation. I mean, I my introduction to the rap world and my love of it came in, like, close. It was like, and we were pretty close in age. Uh, mm -hmm. It was mostly, like, late 80s. Mm -hmm. So there was the sort of, like, the large movement towards, uh, you know, free Africa, there was a mm -hmm. much more like positivity movement mm -hmm. and like, you know, MCs were, although it wasn't as though like NWA did, didn't exist, gangster rap was sort of on the horizon. So it yeah. wasn't as though like there wasn't a, like a real uh, street view or whatever you want to uh -huh. call it of the, of what was being said. But generally speaking, there was a more positive overall, yeah. it was very like dance oriented at that point still too. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely have a connection to that same sort of idea. Yeah. Uh, Definitely, and even with stuff like NWA, like uh, like I I got into eighties like stuff like kind of ten years late or whatever. Like I was I was missed most of like Run DMC and missed mm. uh, and all of that kind of thing. NWA even, and but it was like I remember buying the NWA ten year anniversary and stuff like that. But 
even um and i got really into that stuff and, and also further back like the grandmaster flash and um sugar hill gang like things like that uh, as you know we got really got really into that stuff but mm -hmm. the um but like uh, all of that type of hip-hop to me was like it was like political and it was like even you know nwa to me was just as political as like public enemy or something that was like i guess more explicitly mm -hmm. considered to be political and and also like ice cube was such an amazing writer so that was also very like yeah literary in its way there's so. probably good arguments to show a lot of hip-hop being political yeah even without it being overtly like st stated in the so, lyric yeah they're yeah. always going to be dealing with some kind of classes yeah you know yeah of course so would you say you were you were influenced by it? Was you were already on the track of writing rhymes? Was it sort of the the gateway into writing for you? Mm -hmm. Definitely was, and I started sort of writing other stuff, writing poetry and um, articles and prose and things like that. Um, and it gave me a love for like the sonic character of language. Like I, I loved music, you know, I, from a very young age. Where in, in a way that I think you know. It's hard not to. I'm always curious about other people's relationships with music, and mm. like, I, there's something really like pleasurable to me when I see someone who has like a, just like a very like I don't know essential like relationship with music, you know, because um, mine is actually so much through language and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I used to drum for a bit too, and like I love to dance and do all those things. But you know, I don't know if you know that what I'm talking about, but like certain people you're like wow this person is like just in this music right now and it's yeah. like really it's sexy and like it's like just uh it's fun to watch and like yeah 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 i, I feel uh yeah i mean it's certainly for me it's a, like an intrinsic part of my existence like mm -hmm. i don't think without it even though i've gone through periods of time where there's certain music i don't want to hear anymore or i but i'm still for i'm focusing on something else there's mm. some kind of music there and it's uh for me it was never uh i don't necessarily know that i came to it from a lyrical perspective like i think through rap i was exposed to that and i think even through some even popular songwriting and then as i got into more um disparate genres mm -hmm. i was more interested in songwriting something that like i try not to rant about in any form too mm -hmm. much that i feel like popular music maybe as Take, like lyrics have taken somewhat of a backseat to sure to production do you have a favorite like what, what you would consider a pop song of or like some favorites i'm trying to think like if i was a, to reference it to a particular artist um i mean i think a lot of great songs were written in the 70s yeah i think maybe it comes down to exposure like the fact that you had popular songs you had all kinds of different artists on the radio at that point mm -hmm. the 70s and the 80s mm -hmm. um 80s probably less so i'm just probably not as aware of it because mm -hmm. i was younger mm -hmm. um but it seems like you know uh okay so i'll take a classic example of uh fleetwood mac maybe i to me becoming as like when i started to work on songs i came to it from a dance music perspective so i was djing and then i got into interest uh, interested in production yeah so lyrics didn't really come into my mind until it was like okay now well now i want to sing yeah so i need to put lyrics to the song unless i'm just gonna sing you know scat mm -hmm. or doo-wop or something so then i really got more concerned about w what i was saying how i was saying it how it was phrased over the music like we were sort of discussing over lunch um like the idea of meter and rhythm and and those things were i almost would say that was more important to me because i f i feel like especially with dance music that element of the song is just as important yeah. the fact it has to mesh with whatever the rhythm is if it's i mean you can run counter to it but yeah. then it almost feels like you're cr trying to create uh some kind of a you know mm -hmm. like some kind of tension there yeah so I always, you know, usually the process is like hear an instrumental, come up with something rhythmic, and then I find words that fit that rhythm right. that makes sense. Right. And then it's somewhere in that process I start to find some meaning. Mm -hmm. I'm not really the kind of songwriter that is coming trying to say I want to write a song about this. Yeah. I have done that. Yeah. But generally, being interested in sound 
and my love of sound and like sounds in general tends to inform the starting process which is something i'm really interested in is like you know when when you are getting into that process are you do you have an idea about you know something contextual and then you're sort of saying okay well what what's the appropriate uh, uh means of turning this into like lyric or do you say okay well this is now it's more something for prose or are you just writing it and then you're sort of saying okay well maybe this could work as a song or yeah i think there's tends to be a lot of overlap between what kind of other work and research and thinking and that you know i'm doing um outside of music and what's happening um in music and sometimes those things like they'll feed into each other uh with like large intervals of time passing in between or you know who knows when when that happens but approaching a song i think both ways there's some i I like the idea of having you know something novel or grand or just worthwhile doesn't necessarily have to be a big idea but new and worthwhile or uh, to express uh, and going and trying to do that through a song Mm. however i don't know that that's the way the best stuff comes out at least not the first time Um, you can end up writing a song sort of like about the big idea in a way that like that's more like what an essay should be mm-hmm. rather than a, a song that sort of somehow embodies the emotions in that idea or um, that is sort of like inside the idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was like, it's like, it would be really lame and they're probably, they exist, but to like write a, a song um, like discussing the dynamics of uh uh, relationships or like you know like about love in a kind of meta way mm. as opposed to like just some expression of you know of love that people feel and you know that's like what you're you're trying to get to and that's yeah it would be very difficult to just try and go okay love and then you write it, exactly yeah 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 and there's places uh, for that like you know like this is there's books about love and there's like you know what i mean but uh a love song has to has to do something different and it's like like the somewhat compact expression of like some you know aspect or yeah um, i think it was you and me that were talking and this is this is, sort of comes back to the same conversation i think it was you and i that were talking about it but it was like when i first heard frank ocean mm. i didn't i didn't i want to say i didn't get it there was a part of me as a as somebody who had been really trying hard to write songs and say I'm trying to distill like yeah, the yeah. essence of this idea into the perfect number of syllables and like I was talking about rhythmically so that it fits in this context. Yeah. And then I heard which and I I shouldn't have been surprised by that because I, I think the same in the last conversation we related it to Nate Dog. Mm. The similar kind of rap sing thing. Yeah. And at the time I was like, man, it's like he's just it's like he might as well just be like uh you know free associating over the track yeah it's just going go 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 go. and i was like and i was looking for this sort of like i I think i was championing the idea of this distillation of the idea and coming out with the perfect lyrical song that you you really really worked hard because there's like a part of me as a songwriter that felt like it was like cheating but the more and more i listened to it somehow i came around i don't know if i just liked the song more yeah i liked how he was singing it or i i started to hear what he was saying and it didn't bother me so much that he was using say more words to do it yeah but i like you know also like the carly ray jepson like songs where it's like just a chorus practically in a bridge right. or whatever and but it's like it's like to me like such a dope chorus like even if it's not like your genre or whatever like it's that even if it's just like i really 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 like you or like uh <laughs> Here's my number. Call me. Call me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's just dope. But I, I also think that yeah, Frank, the Frank Ocean stuff's amazing. But there's a, and so there's a, and it's anyone can sing those Carly Rae Jepsen songs. That's the other thing. It's right. Like, it's like you, you know you, you, you can sing it. Anybody can sing. I really really like yeah. you or whatever. Yeah. Um. And I I think it's kind of brilliant just because it's almost like how do you get away with it? But the song does get away with just saying like such a simple 
um and yet it's like in in some ways the repetition of really it's like a very specific type of like mm. you know? but uh whereas with the with the frank ocean stuff it, it's kind of like that's his like you can try and sing it but you like you're not necessarily singing knowing really what each reference means mm. and what you know he was getting at and like that's like sort of the totality of like ideas in his mind at that time and that's so that's to me very like hip hop in a way it's like that's got to be hip hop songs aren't necessarily designed for other people to perform in most cases it's right like the performer uh is is it's understood at least that they're the author and uh it's not like it doesn't lend itself as well to like being covered because it's it's a person's experience it's not intended to be universal in a way which i think is like is is amazing and especially when one of those things does become universal and that's really cool too but um that also i think is like what makes those that other genre of pop song that is easily covered like so amazing too yeah there's interest there's a, it's something interesting about the that translation of something that is so personal but it m clearly resonates with a large group of people otherwise i don't necessarily think i mean you can make arguments about the major label marketing machine and all that kind of stuff mm. but Beyond that, there's something about it. Maybe it's just melodic and maybe it's a musical thing, but mm -hmm. somewhere somebody has to be resonating, I think, with something lyrical. Yeah. Maybe not because there are songs that are, some people might say, like complete nonsense that have become. I mean, there's something that's resonating to, you know, to some degree that people, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we were talking before about uh, slam poetry. You're a slam poetry fan. Yeah. And I was saying, I'm I not have a complicated relationship. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Better way to put it, but yeah. But I don't know as much about it. Uh, like I don't, I haven't, you know, I'm not uh, a studied uh, yeah, slam yeah. poet. Uh, I, I wouldn't person. see myself as like an authority or anything like that either. I was just right. really into it when I was young. But yeah, I mean, the thing I was saying about that was just I like going to slam poetry um, now just because uh, it's an opportunity. Like the, the type of things people perform, it's like. I like it as a community space or something. I like it as like this place where there's people really saying what they feel on a day to day, and like yeah, you, said you don't get like, access to really understand what people are going through yeah. in a way. And so even if artistically I can be critical of it sometimes because I'm like, whoa, is this like something that belongs in your diary maybe, and not necessarily like a great like work of art that needs to share in the world? Like it's just like which I I think is worth always remembering as an artist like just because you feel something doesn't uh, make it well expressed or worthwhile to express or you know um and 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 that's just more of like a how to approach editing and stuff like that mm. um or, or aesthetically interesting or whatever but um but just like as a human and and in some ways maybe it is like some of the best art because if there's nowhere else to go and get like what people are just feeling in this really raw way as people um like it's i don't know like it, it clearly has value outside uh, of just eavesdropping on a conversation yeah. of somebody else's yeah you're getting like a one-on-one -on -one perspective of how they're feeling about this particular thing or yeah 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 and you can get it out of i guess novels and drama and like but uh it, you know maybe this like sort of four minute poem though is like a more contemporary um like format like mm. like i don't read as many like novels as i'm sure you know people someone my age might have 20 years ago or something like mm -hmm. that so which is just like i don't know the pace of culture or whatever and like we have like memes are like an amazing art form right now i think and like one of the like to like i really think like, memes to me are like uh actually what is kind of replacing um or or making up for the loss of like of poetry's role in society like it's, how do you mean that it's like a, a like a really good meme and when i say meme and i mean the, i don't mean like the proper definition i mean like a an instagram image with a caption or whatever mm -hmm. um that goes viral so it's uh it falls like under the category of like the the extra official like uh definition of meme or whatever um but uh it's a a shared expression of ordinariness often um it's you know unsaid um 
and even there's conventions of it are like like okay um that feeling when as as an example mm-hmm. it's like that's a it's almost like a form or a genre you know you're using this hashtag or whatever um and or the abbreviated tfw or whatever the abbreviation for it to then like say something that uh like everyone relates to but that like no one has really said out loud or whatever mm-hmm. and for some reason like Instagram and like this, the internet has become this format where like the ordinary things people express or like a lot of it has to do with sort of anxiety and things like that. When you look at memes, it's sort of like admission of like your own pathetic like existence or something like that. Yeah, which in a sense is like uh, sort of admitting your hum- your human, yeah. your human side or your, yeah, your humanity of some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think like, I, I love them and like, there's humor and like I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot more more going on. But I'm sure there's some, you know, people out there writing theses about them. But I think they'll be like, I don't know how like whether memes and as they are now will evolve into something else or continue to exist. But I think we'll we will look back at like this era and they, some of these memes might be as important as like the great songs of this time. And you know, so given. I mean, we didn't really cover the time period between you writing, starting to write and rap and to where you are now. But yeah. if we fast forward ahead, you, sure. were, you were continued your writing career. Yeah, You got into music. You actively, my introduction to you was um, was through you being a rapper. Yeah. Um, and uh, in your group with JR. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll wait on getting into that a bit more. But mm. given that now you do you actively are writing quite a bit as far as i'm aware yeah do you feel as though those kinds of ideas like memes and do you like how important is the written word when you can express an idea through an image and very few words is it the same kind of idea as what we're talking about between like frank ocean and versus say like oh, not fleetwood mac but somebody like something like i'm saying where mm-hmm. you're, you're really trying to take the essence of what this this concept is and put it into an image does the image allow you to sort of skip over a lot of context or something like that? It gives you, you know, gives that person an immediate like, oh, right, I've seen something like that before. Yeah. You know, and that makes sense now. You, you put, you're just putting it into context for me. You know, do you think that, that where, that's where we're going is to a place of where her, you know, I used to make a joke about it that people would short, you know, start to abbreviate words that I didn't even feel like needed abbreviating, mm. um, which I can't think of the one that I'm, like I would usually get upset about, but yeah, but is that just a consequence of language that as time goes on, we find that we don't need to be expressing ourselves or is it, do you still see it as an important thing to know, you know, uh, fancy language or old, old English, that kind of thing? Well, yeah. One thing I think that's happening is the combination of image and text, which is like something that's gone on for a long time, but I actually don't think there's that many successful examples of it from the past. So you have, Thing, like a poet like William Blake or somebody who who's you know the way that the, the 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 etchings that he made were part of the poem and it was kind of um both visual and and textual um or you have you know things like plays and theater that are kind of a, one another way of thinking about image and text together movies and stuff like that um, which is kind of something different, but comic books and, and graphic novels are are a great example that sort of only in fairly fairly recently became sort of the uh, respected art form that, that they've become in the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years or more. Um, but now what's happened, I think, I think it's just really hard, right? Like it's, it's really, you can do more when you have image and text together, but it's it's hard. It often involves collaboration. And now you've got like things like memes where it's just like so basic, so simple to be able to just take any image because you have access to mm-hmm. so many through mm-hmm. the internet and throw any text on top of it. Even the fact that it's done with these, um, what do you call it? Uh, like uh, stock images and everything mm-hmm. is hilarious and beautiful to me. But to just go take these, go to this library of stock images and put like a joke on it that's like, so fucking real to everybody's existence yeah my favorite there's this guy in a job interview shrugging and and he's and he just goes 
fuck do you mean why do i want to work here so i can pop bottles on the weekends and buy things <laughs> and and it's like yeah everybody has to go you know to the job interview and get asked so why do you want to yeah and be faced with like lying like well because because of the people yeah. I, like i really think you guys have the great greatest people or what, yeah you know and like whatever answer you want to give the canned answer is just as canned as the question yeah yeah and so this guy you know it's the, the they throw this like thing out there that's like everybody's kind of like fantasy to like go be themselves so um it's just made it's like there's this access that anybody can create so so simply like um this combination of image and text and it's like just by doing that it's like i don't know i think a lot of people who didn't have a sort of artistic voice and they probably i don't know that people even see it as an artistic voice or not that are doing it but just a sense of humor or something mm-hmm. are able to do it and you're capturing all these things that were like the same reason maybe like seinfeld or something was so popular when it was because they were just making a point of like well what it like what's funny that isn't hasn't been said or you know, yeah it's something about the idea of turning what isn't mundane and everyday and yeah very yeah observable but mm-hmm. you're context the, the fact that you can contextualize it in that specific way that everybody then goes that's what it that's what it is yeah and that is i think the same as like a great love song or something mm-hmm. like that yep. it's like you you just talked about it in a way that nobody really had talked about it before mm-hmm. um so it's really that idea of better communicating the idea than somebody else it, you could do it in yeah. a lot of words and you could write an entire essay on it yeah. and go through the whole process. But in some ways it's just easier to just give this one thing. Or, this yeah. One very and, specific truth. And yeah. Or noticing when you feel it and stuff too. I mean, when I've been, um, falling in love lately <laughs> and, um, Good for you. yeah, yeah, that sounds great. But, uh, the effect that that has, uh, on sort of what you notice and like, I've written some songs and things like that. And like, it's usually just coming out of, um, it's not like I'm not like, I'm not looking for the words or whatever. Like the, uh, hopefully, you know, you've built up the, um, well, you, you have, if you speak English, you know, you've, any language really in my case, English, uh, if you, you, you have some, um, ability to use language, uh, at your disposal so that when you feel something, you you might just say it or whatever but Mm -hmm. i've had all these instances where um i'm like you know lying down with my girlfriend like and uh just being like you know just explaining something that seems mundane that's like uh i get very frustrated sometimes because like i want to hold you closer at the same time i want to step away and look at you from a distance and this is very you know like it's very frustrating for me. <laughs> <laughs> she's explaining, but I'm like, and then and then and then her being like, "That's really sweet." Like, it's a, and then that becoming like, you know, I want to hold you closer, girl. I want to yeah. step back and look at you. Want to hold you close, and then, and like this whole like part of a song that was kind of just about uh, this 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 challenge. Yeah, um, but things like that that like I, I couldn't have come up with that idea as like a creative thing. Like it was only ever gonna come with just me like lying there being like yeah it's like something that's like felt really stupid kind well, of we, to say but i don't really care so like we were talking about our shared love of norm mcdonald live mm. um so that you know the co-host always asks this question which seems on the surface kind of a stupid question which yeah. is where where do you get your ideas from yeah. and coming to do an interview show i've thought of the same kind of way of how to phrase that because i think at its core, there is something there, but mm-hmm. I just think it, to say it in a general sense, it's like, well, I don't, you know, where where do they come from? Where do the, any of those ideas come from? Yeah, you know, is it a matter of just having the the awareness to to capture that thing at that time? You know, is it just like one person being more organized or one person being more aware? Um, having the language to do it is important, but also just yeah, recognizing in that moment that oh, this is a this is an idea. Like this is something that should be said or it should be expressed or it could be expressed. Yeah, I guess recognizing you it, know? right? Not like you're like trying to sit there and think about it, um, because I think a lot of people struggle with that idea of like, well, where am I gonna get an idea from? 
mm-hmm. how am I, you know? Um, so it's, I, I think at its core, there is something that's important about that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, and you're asking it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't know what I'm asking. I'm just sort of exploring like, you know, yeah, that, that happens to those, those ability, you know, that insight, you, you know, that's how I guess I kind of feel about it is, yeah. you know, if you're aware enough of it to happen, then you can sort of direct yeah. it or you can document it or. Yeah, I think um, you have to attack it from two ends. Uh, and on one end, it's like putting in the work, seeking, I don't want to say seeking inspiration, seeking exposure to as much, you know, um, content and experience, I guess, as possible and like diversity of it or whatever. Um, just kind of, uh, which could just be in reading or like, doing you know whatever surfing the internet or um eavesdropping or mm. um talking to people or just learning you know th- on, there's that work that i think does need to be done so and, this is an observation yeah and then there's well there's that there's that work there's the work of a hard difficult uh writing or creative work or whatever where you're you, you're there like you know just trying to find something like it doesn't i just i really don't believe in expecting it to come as easy Mm. as lying down there and whatever and just saying something to your girlfriend and that's like the next song or something like that Mm um like some people don't want to oh i'm not inspired i'm not you know Mm -hmm. it's i I think like there's always work to be done like there's so it's like don't even worry about that um but then yeah there's this recognition like when it's there how do you know generating ideas is easy to me um and I and I feel very comfortable generating bad ones and coming up with stupid ideas. Like I think it's a great exercise to do that. Like I don't know. I was at dinner the other night and happened that we were having dinner on a table with like a a white um, whiteboard table or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I happened to sit down and there were like two pens there and I think for, to write names on our cups or something so we wouldn't uh, use too many plastic cups. But uh, I just started. As we as during the conversation, writing down little genres of music that were said, just like hypothetical uh, or, or, or potential genres of music, and it ended up being this huge list of genres of music, and then like and this other exercise of what would that sound like or be like or whatever, and um, and I don't know, it was just an idea generation activity that I just I don't know why I was compelled to do it, but I was sitting there and there was the and people were talking and I was listening and it kind of it can help you listen better in a way sometimes mm-hmm. too to be doing that and mm-hmm. it was an odd thing to be doing at a dinner table or whatever but it happened that, that, that I could draw on this particular dinner you're, table you're a little odd I guess I'm a weird guy <laughs> sure I don't apologize for it, yeah. well you're okay with like you know generating bad ideas too so that's good yeah so if I, yeah so I, and so that's part of it too but then like you know you see one or two that are it's like that's good. Why is that good? Just because here in this context, it's funny, or is it like is there actually something to that? Should we actually go start that mm-hmm. genre or whatever? Mm-hmm. There's a blog that I really like to read called Brain Pickings, and she goes, you, you know, this blog. Yeah. She analyzes a lot of writers and artists, and one of the things that I notice that comes up is this same idea that you you can't expect inspiration. It's it's not like this ethereal. Or like, um, you know, the concept of like the muse when the muse comes, that it's, you know, that all of a sudden you're going to say these words and, okay, now inspiration's going to strike. There's this reoccurring theme of what you're talking about, which is act being active in a way. Also, uh, there seems to be um, something about repetition, something about practice taking a similar kind of uh, form. So whether that's uh, always trying to do your your work at a particular time of mm-hmm. day. So I found myself, I found this actually to work. Like if I was following a particular kind of routine uh, and then at a certain point of the day, I say, okay, now I'm going to start working on mm-hmm. art or music. Ideas seem to generate themselves a little easier. It's like your brain switches itself on and mm-hmm. says, so now I'm in this mode now. Through that discipline. So, you know, but it doesn't, you're not able to access any of what might be there and maybe at a subconscious level mm-hmm. without having first putting in some 
measure of work you know like it's almost like an input and an output kind yeah. of a thing right you're yeah. you've taken in all this input now now's the time when you're going to now parse through that stuff mm-hmm. but i think it's interesting to your point of being okay with generating something that's not necessarily great yeah and maybe at a later stage uh or at the moment you're capable of being able to say well no this isn't good i'm gonna move on but being able to be okay with that too i think is good because that will stunt you if you don't right yeah if you you just won't generate ideas if the, mm-hmm. if you're too critical all always yeah 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 you'll stop yourself too early so like there's time for that but it, that's like a i guess a big uh idea for me lately has been a, somehow a balance of uh extreme sort of sensibility like uh, in a sense like um just uh like rational sense i guess and on the other hand just like ridiculous nonsense and trying to like use both of those things because uh you know this if you look at just whatever business politics society the conversations that are playing out the way choices people are making and what people believe i think there's just like there's a lot of nonsense Mm. constantly like the way things are done in the world and it's like why aren't we stepping back and like just looking at this and it's like someone like being adults and like (laughs) fixing Mm. some of these problems and we're doing things that just don't seem to make any sense and um you you see it as part of what you do to offer like is is maybe it's not part of your day-to-day writing but no i do part of what you do artistically is that part of something that you feel is 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 necessary on your part to to sort of clarify, like, you know, put a lens on those kinds of things and refocus people's attention on... Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. It depends. I, I see it more in, like, um, in, my, in the work that I do, which we can, we can talk about, too, in in terms of um, as, a, as a consultant and sort of in business and um, uh, working with business. We're working with organizations, basically. Um, but, uh, but I also just to finish the thought the the other side is the, the nonsense and I, that's very important to me too and that's just like a um like a a sense of um whimsy i guess like a sense of sort of like not uh, not being too precious with things having fun laughing not being afraid to be stupid jokes are really important to me like being able to just explore nonsense and things that because that's to me that's actually how i be, like doing that where you become aware of like alternatives and then sometimes that nonsense alternative is like um you actually can start like thinking about what what, what would that be like and what is the rationale for that and then all of a sudden it's like well actually some version of that makes way more sense than the way we do things right now and so that's the importance of having both the sort of like extreme sensible side and the and be an idiot side, yeah you know be like the ridiculous side that's yeah. that's it's important. that same idea of um you know like that taoist or buddhist quality of being like childlike mm-hmm. sort of having the awareness yeah. and also just the play the ability to play and be yeah. adaptable and yeah yeah sort of uh not being so rigid it's like you you get older you start to add all of these uh you know rules and yeah. ways of thinking and acting and doing yeah. you kind of start to think like anything else is just uh ridiculous but it's not it's it's sort of where that creative spark can come from yeah yeah receptivity is another thing i just think about a lot as a word that's just more about being i think open like that's almost like if that that falls in the middle or something if uh if those are uh, not the sense sensible side and the nonsense side are two dials or or something that you need to uh find the right or or use in using different amounts at different times the receptivity is the the antennae or something like that mm-hmm. so I try to just be open and like noticing things or noticing new types of things and um and and I think you know learning new things and that kind of thing as well um but I able to try to like tune into the tone of the times is is also critical like that's what's good songs do when they meet 
their social moment and mm-hmm. when they're popular and when when everything kind of you know strikes where a song has its moment in culture there's some aspect of what's going on um how people feel in the world uh that an artist has tapped into and um and and presented back uh in a sort of timely and uh useful way that like is, is somehow helping people um I don't know, it's either sitting as the soundtrack or helping people relate or uh, helping people just understand, um, you know, the, the world they're operating in. That might be a good place to pivot into what you're doing now. Sure. Because I feel as though that's somewhat related, right? You're sort of yeah. taking a, a large perspective. Well, here, you explain what is it you do and let's see if I'm right. Yeah, so I've spent almost seven years um, working with a firm called Idea Couture uh, in Toronto. It was founded in Toronto. It's a global firm uh, that frames itself as a strategic innovation and experience design firm. Um, and basically, uh, we deal with sort of the realm of uh, what's new, um, basically companies like Fortune 500 companies um, would hire Idea Couture to come up with, sometimes come up with new ideas or solve problems or address challenges that they've determined or uh, recognize challenges uh, that may be upcoming. But uh, generally it's got this idea innovation attached with it and it's about what's new or next. So we'd be like devising strategies or coming up with product ideas um, the last several years that I spent at Idea Couture was uh, as the head of Foresight Studio and part of a larger Foresight team that was where our, our work is, is basically about uh, helping companies navigate longer term futures. So often anywhere from like five to 15 years, but sometimes quite a bit further, like looking out 100 years and things like that. Um, and uh, basically uh, understanding what's changing um, and uh, and helping companies think about how they'll navigate that, um, what's changing, what will it mean? And so it's very related to the process I just discussed. So that's that's the, the I, I kind of went into this role and I felt like, okay, this is like um, in, a, in a sort of abstract way, what I do when I'm writing songs. It's, you need to be very receptive um, you do need to focus that and understand sort of the, the boundaries of whatever business we're looking at or whatever organization we're looking at and sort of then be able to go a certain distance outside of those boundaries in, in, in order to understand sort of what's beyond what is typically thought of as the system here and what are the, the, what the system is, is connected to outside that, that would influence it or impact it in significant ways. So kind of taking inventory of what's changing that, that we suspect could influence um, this entity, this organization, their their approach, their strategy, their competitive landscape, their product set uh, in a significant way. Um, but we're not really sure how yet, but we suspect it's, it's gonna be influential. Mm. Um, and then sort of synthesizing all of that, thinking about uh, all these different factors, if this is happening in technology and this social movement seems to be um, gaining steam and, uh, you know, this is what we know is the environmental effects of the work that they do. And uh, we have some, you know, idea of how that could play out over time and the dangers of it. Um, what then is the are the challenges that they're going to be facing? What are the opportunities? Um, and how can we sort of steer this ship in the right direction? Um, so it's very high level, like sort of uh, uh, macro kind of thinking, looking at things from a... a you know, a very uh, kind of 30,000 foot view or something. Um, and, and then you can kind of zoom in and you have to uh, on smaller things. But yeah, I always found that process of um, either, you know, recognizing an opportunity or developing a product or something as being the work similar to when you're writing, trying to write a good song. It's like tuning in to what's happening in the world and and, and, and kind of presenting that tone back as this compacted kind of object or, or a song in one case and a, often like a, a strategy or an opportunity or a product or something like that in, in another case or a way to transform this company. So yeah, those those two things are very related. And actually the thing I'm doing now is kind of completing the braid 
between the two. So I've started a project um, called Recordings from Later, and that is basically writing songs um, based on research um, and the same kind of process, taking inventory of what I see as the weak signals of change, the things emerging um, that could have a, a significant impact on a certain system or on our on the environment that we live in. Um, and, and basically formalizing that process the way I would do um, for clients uh, for the song. So it's just sort of, in a way, if, um, as Ezra Pound and Marshall McLuhan said, artists are the antennae of the race, um, and as I was sort of alluding to, Jacques Derrida said, the song presents life to itself. Um, if those kind of things are true, the, the goal is to... Um, present future life, like a, sorry, sort of our, our life in some potential future um, to us now and uh, to, to kind of function as the antennae um, of, of, of what could be on those, on those horizons, but to also actually open the sort of black box that the artist works in so you can actually see these are the signals that served as inputs into this, into this song. So there'll be a website where you can actually go read um, all the research that's documented that sort of informed this idea for uh, a song from later, a song uh, that is written as though it takes in, a, takes place in, or was written in and performed in a certain future scenario um, that we've imagined. So um, yeah, it's something uh, that's that I've just uh, just gotten ready to release. So it'll be coming out in January. January two thousand and eighteen. The first. The first of of these songs and why why did you decide i mean other than maybe because of your love of music uh, as opposed to doing it in some other format like as opposed to sort of writing it as um i don't know like like an academic writing or uh, you know like an essay sure so i mean there's a bunch of practices like like that in a way um science fiction writing is one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um there's this idea of design fictions um, where it's sort of uh, people will create a often like a product or a, some kind of object from a future as a way to sort of stand in for a larger world, which is sort of what we're doing here with songs. So there's some of these practices um, are out there for sure. Um, and the design fiction ideas, these very, very kind of deliberate approach to looking at what, you know, could exist in this world, what needs might emerge and that kind of thing. Um, I think the song is something special and there's like a, there's these moments that have been in, in the history of music that are really interesting to me. One of them is um, Marvin Gaye um, on Mercy, Mercy Me off of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he sings. Huge influence for me, that record. Yeah. And Not that song in particular, but that what's going on that record. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it was super novel at the time, and there's, you know, the whole story behind Barry Gordy not wanting to put it out because what are you singing about here? And it was kind of like on a song like Mercy, Mercy Me, it's like radiation in the ground is one of the lyrics he says, and it's like radiation in the ground. This is like an R&B song. This is supposed to be a love song. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what yeah. is, why do you have this science word in here, you know? And throughout that album, there's all these sort of, this language that's like really of its time it's very prophetic yeah very very prophetic yeah and stuff that's going to continue to be relevant too and so like what that's part of the idea is like what are the what's the language that you would um put into into a song to have one of those moments where the song really uh, does connect with people because it's so perfectly of its moment but is also very strange and it's almost uh, ironically or oddly, feels uh, like anachronistic or something because it's like what well, and futuristic and sort of its way of being anachronistic. But like, why are you using these words in this in this genre where we usually use these other words like uh, love and above or something? Right, right, yeah, <laughs> not radiation. Yeah, in the ground, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, so, so trying to create those like another one example I love is. Um, Survivor by Destiny's Child, which is obviously a reference to uh, a certain t- uh, genre of television show that was at the time, but like 
uh, also has I'm not gonna diss you on the internet, which was like that song, whatever year it was, like 2000 or something. Like the cyberbullying maybe existed as a word, but wasn't not the word it is today that everybody yeah. knows. And like just this notion, I'm not gonna diss you on the internet, was like exactly with the next sort of like 20 years or whatever, 17 years of like celebrities interfacing with one another came down to, and this was this early sort of uh, document of, of that thing. And it was like, I'm not going to diss you on the internet because my mom told me better than that. But I think what I'm trying to get at is, is, is there an accessibility factor that you feel music has, uh, you know, you're, it's a, it's more, it's a more accessible than say, like somebody may not read a novel, no, or like a book, or an essay, how, yeah. or but the song allows you to have this accessibility to a wider audience. Yeah, uh, and that's like especially the, given them the technology. The ultimate. It's not just an exercise in being a nerd. Uh, it's uh, it's it's the the point is to encourage um, sort of critical and creative um, imaginings of the future and get people thinking about mm -hmm. futures in different ways. So yeah, I think a song is, um, it's both sort of, uh, yeah, audiences. I think it's something you can enjoy these songs without necessarily um, thinking, you know, like understanding the whole backstory or context or whatever. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's nice. But I also do think that there is something that you can capture. You can learn about um, what life will be like through the scaffolding of a, of a song, a certain type of song structure. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the first one is like a, a work song. Um, so in, in the genre of like, of work songs from like, you know, something that would have been, uh, you know, in like the thirties in the U S in a, in a prison yard or something like, like that, or, um, not sung on a slave ship to Dolly Parton nine to five to, mm. um, clips grinding mm -hmm. to broken clocks by SZA mm -hmm. to sort of like this whole span of, of, of music um, and kind of looking at that and um, the song, the, this first one is called The Lonely Arcade and it imagines it's sort of this post-work AI and robotics enabled future where you can kind of, it, it's a, some kind of luxury communist situation where you don't really have to work can have whatever you want at any time but the, the performer of the of the song is sort of singing um lamenting the fact that um she can't find meaning um and is, isn't feeling as fulfilled uh as she would be if she uh, were able to to work mm. um and so that like if you listen to you know a song like grinding by the clips and a lot of other hip-hop songs that they actually you know People have always like criticized hip hop's celebration of uh, you know material culture or whatever. Which I think, to our earlier point, you could make the argument that it's actually a highly political statement mm. and um, shouldn't be uh, dismissed like that. But um, but a lot. The other thing that happens is uh, hip hop really celebrates effort and the work that goes in um, to to attaining those things. Mm -hmm. It's not just a celebration of um, uh, the spoils of of work, but it's a celebration of the work itself in a song mm. like "Grinding," which you know means basically means working, mm -hmm. um, is is a great example of that to me. So if that's the case, and in what in a world with less work or with no work, um, should we decide to create such a world and be able to? Um, which I have my own doubts about, but mm. uh, you know what? Where will we find meaning and? Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily going to be like that where people are lamenting that they can't find me. Maybe it's awesome. Maybe yeah. it's just like whatever. It's going to take away the jobs that nobody yeah. wants to do. Yeah. Focus. I mean, there's a, there is that idea of, uh, you know, if, you, if you're taking away sort of the, whatever you want to call them, blue collar jobs. Yeah. And, or the, you know, Richard Florida called it the rise of the creative class. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure that we've seen that future no. in our time, even though I think it was predicted for sort of this time. Yeah. But, you know, does that, does that mean like if, you know, if this sort of part of the aim of what I said I was trying to do with this, these conversations was to <clears throat> foster greater communication, yeah. art being a means of doing so. Yeah. You know, if everybody's an artist in a sense. Yeah. And they're all communicating their ideas better to each other. You know, it, again, it seems 
in theory, it seems quite good. Yeah. We're all able to communicate better. What could we do? What kinds of problems could we solve if we were all working on the same page? Yeah. And we weren't dealing with a lot of the other, like you said, ridiculousness that sort of surrounds yeah. society and culture. But maybe, maybe the, maybe that work is not as gratifying as say, you know, like sweeping a floor. Yeah. I mean, I mean, using a very like, you know, banal sort of example, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, there is though uh there's this guy David Graeber who has this essay called The Bullshit Jobs and I, I really like this. He basically is arguing that like the the Keynesian prediction of like a fifteen hour work week and through the automation of labor, like it it happened basically. Like that technology does take jobs away and we instead we've basically invented new ones and um, and those are mostly bullshit jobs. And that would be like uh, probably my job that I just described of uh, going and like s solving problems for corporations or uh, certainly like uh, maybe it's a telemarketer job or maybe it's a, you know, it, it, any number of, and the thing though that, that I, I'm hesitant to list off a bunch of jobs because the, uh, the point he's actually making is that it's whatever job uh, someone will sort of admit to you um, it, that their own job is a bullshit job. So he, he just defines it as like, look, go out to a party, have some drinks. And after a couple of drinks, does a person admit to you like, you know, my job, the world doesn't really need my job or whatever. <laughs> uh, and, and he sees it as that's, that's the only way to measure it. It's, a, it's not my place to say sort right. of like what, whether your job is good or bad. Does it give you, you know, is it, is it bullshit? Does it provide meaning or, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, cause you can make the argument that, that being, being an artist doesn't provide the same value as some um, people driving taxis or something like that. And right. You could easily make the argument, I think. Right. It's a strong argument. Um, but I think if the people, if, if, if we look at it that way, as like, if you're making the art and you believe it's meaningful uh, to you and to others, then, uh, then no one else can, can say it's a, a bullshit job so it becomes more of this practice of like really deciding like where do we want to spend our time when do we, um it would require a different type of distribution of wealth obviously than yeah than what we have right now and i think there are hard there are hard practical problems that exist right there's yeah. like the the food problem there's the environment problem yeah you know but uh if those other jobs were suddenly not there anymore yeah, uh, those you know uh, jobs that could be replaced by machines, which a lot of people are saying with AI is a, a lot more than you would maybe think. Yeah, um, maybe we could be putting our time and our brain power into focusing on those problems. Yeah, and really things that would allow us to surpass, and that may be the real sort of renaissance of our time. Yeah, right, and and then. Will we? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so you're probably better to answer that question. I was going to say we should have like a, a, a prediction top five or something like uh, that for the future. Your futurist predictions. I, I like I like uh, looking at the spectrum of possibilities. I don't like to make predictions okay. necessarily. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't. I, certainly, that song is not intended to be a prediction. It's actually not uh, either what I hope for or what I believe and that's important for me to like communicate to people actually because uh it's meant to be a sort of um like a stake in the ground as mm -hmm. a, a way to sort of uh, you use this as um to sort of denote one territory um so that you can sort of see the other alternatives mm -hmm. um because i i you know i don't really think we're gonna get to a world without uh work too soon we will get to a world with less work and the more important critical thing is that there might be some moments where a lot of jobs are replaced, you know, all at once or something. Um, but I, I, you don't tend to buy, like, depends how you, how you think about it. Like, um, you're also assuming based on some sort of non-variable future, right? As though things are just going to continue. Yeah. There are exactly. No, you know, like we don't, we don't have, there's a multitude of other variables there's that a, could come into play that. Yeah. Know, well, that's the thing. Environment and, in particular is one that could have massive totally changes change. to everything. Totally. And the, the, a lot of times it's important to recognize that like the predictions that, or what people read as predictions or when you hear a news story that says like 67% of society may be replaced by um, artificial intelligence and robots or whatever, that 
in many cases is actually the jobs that could potentially be replaced. And that doesn't mean that um, just because a robot uh, can make a bed that every um, hotel housekeeping staff is going to be uh, fired because the R&D to go into this robot that comes in and makes a bed and clean it is it's costly than the cost of bringing like the reality is that it's costs about five dollars a room or something um to 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 have someone come in and and make those rooms right now and um it's very inexpensive labor mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. um and so those jobs aren't necessarily uh disappearing but then the question is too is like if those jobs are disappearing um how are we you know reallocating our effort and what are we what are the problems we're thinking about mm -hmm. so there's a ton of variables yeah um that's probably as good a place as any to to wrap things up okay i think there's definitely way i mean there's way more things we can talk about in the future i would yeah. definitely love to to talk and uh, again about uh talk with you about maybe songwriting uh writing in general um you know some of the ideas that we touched on today yeah but i think that could be really instructive as well you know cool. um yeah. yeah but thanks man yeah that was great thank you for having me If you like what you heard on the show today and would like to support it, I would encourage you to go to my Patreon page and become a patron. Patrons will get access to exclusive content and can help decide which guests come on the show and what I ask them, as well as other rewards along the way. Support will enable the show to become bigger and better in many ways. There'll be a link to the page on both the mind to make website at www.mindtomake.com, as well as in the show notes in the description for the podcast. Thanks again so much for listening, and please tune in next time.